When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This is the art of charm. Learn everything you need to know to crush it in business, love, and life. The Art of Charm is where ordinary guys become extraordinary men. Welcome to The Art of Charm, I'm Jordan Harbinger. The Art of Charm brings together the best thought leaders, teachers, and exceptional individuals to teach you how to be a top performer in life, love, and at work. Imagine having a mix of experienced mentors teaching you their expertise and packing decades of research, testing, and tough lessons into a curriculum. We may not have all the answers, but we do have all the questions. Make sure to stay up to date with everything here at The Art of Charm and get some great freebies that we don't or can't share on the show by signing up for the transformation kit at theartofcharm.com. If you like what you hear on the show, come hang out with us on the blog. We get really in-depth on some of these topics and you can further engage with the AOC team there as well. Or if you're new to the show and you wanna find out more about what we teach here at The Art of Charm, you can go to the website and we'll email you our fundamentals toolkit. That covers topics like body language, nonverbal communication, dating, attraction, persuasion, business networking, public speaking, negotiation, and a whole lot more. And we've got our live programs running every single week here in Los Angeles, California. In fact, we've got guys from all over the world, which shows that no matter where you are, you can make it here if you wanna learn and grow. We're sold out a couple months in advance, so if you're thinking about it even a little bit, you should get in touch ASAP by phone or email me, jordan at theartofcharm.com. Get some info from us now so you can plan ahead. Looking forward to meeting you here at AOC. Today we're talking with Coach.me founder Tony Stubblebine. We're gonna talk about why coaching is key and how to find a good coach, meditation as a secret weapon for high performance, and why everybody from Kobe Bryant to hedge fund managers are using this in their daily life to get in the zone. He's also gonna lead us through a guided meditation so we can kick the day off right. Tell us what you do in one sentence. Oh God, all right. I'm the CEO and founder of Coach Dummy, which is a startup trying to bring great coaching to everyone in the world. Great, and you've been doing this for a long time, right? I mean. When you and I talked before the show, the idea is, listen, elite performers get coaching. And I, I kinda wanna harp on that for a second because one of the chief objections that we get when people are looking at Art of Charm and things like that or other yeah. coaching programs is there's this ego thing that gets in the way where they're like, oh, I don't want an, first people are angry that anybody would even suggest that they need coaching in any area of their life. Right. Especially something like networking or dating or social skills or anything like what we teach here. And it's kind of comical because when you talk to like 
Navy SEALs and ultra high net worth individuals, they're like, where do I sign up for this? And then you talk to the guy who's like an entry level CPA and they're like, I don't need that. That's for losers, bro. And you're like, okay. But you coach a lot of elite performers and by definition, elite performers are getting a lot of coaching. You know how I got over my own sort of fear of getting a coach is that my lead investor said, I'll invest in the company, but I want to give you my executive coach. And I was like, holy shit, this like this guy is like founder of two of the top 10 most trafficked websites on the internet. He's the CEO of Twitter, he's a multi-billionaire, and he's like, yeah, coaching really is great for me. Why don't, and you know, and I want to protect my investment. Why don't I give you my coach? And so first of all, I was like, well, obviously this is going to be a great coach. I mean, if I'm going to start anywhere, why don't I start with someone who's coaching one of the top entrepreneurs of all time? And, uh, and also if this guy's using a coach, then like, I mean, who am I to, to say, like, I don't need it. I mean, I want to be where he is. So of course I, I want every advantage that I can get. I, that's, I basically, I find that about a lot of elite performers is you say, if you tell them, Hey, I've got this advantage. Are you interested? They're like, hell yeah. Right. Of course I'm interested. Yeah. What the, what I think the low performer hears is you are faulty in some way and right. I'm going to fix it. And since they have a fixed mindset instead of say like a growth mindset to reference Dr. Carol Dweck, she would say, well, hey, this person is looking at it like, oh, you have failed somehow or you are generally faulty in some way because you might need to remedy or, or move up because gr they look at growth as sort of a negative, something that, that only the defective need. I mean, on the one hand, it is their problem, but there's two reasons I think that problem is so common. Is one, we usually say coaching is the secret weapon of elite performers. It's their competitive advantage. They're not broadcasting it everywhere because that's how they're winning. So there is this little bit of like too much secrecy. People don't actually know what it takes to become, you know, a success. In fact, I think successful people often feed into this idea that they became, a, you know, they're, they're geniuses, they're very talented, or is an overnight success story. And then the other is that we don't have enough examples, right? Like it is so uncommon, it's so rare, it's so expensive in a lot of ways. And so it's just, nobody likes to do things that aren't normal. And I think just because of how coaching has been sold in the past, it's just so, such a luxury that most people never heard of anyone's how to coach. And you just, you have to get, you have to get over that. Yeah, it's tough to get over, but also it's a self-selecting process, right? Like people who have the right mindset to be yeah. really successful are at some point gonna be like, oh, maybe I should hire people smarter than me. They don't really think of a hire as somebody who's gonna coach them. They usually think like, I need to outsource part of what I'm doing to somebody else. Yeah, it is, you're absolutely right. It is a huge mindset thing. And we've referenced Carol Dweck all the time. I just feel like that that observation of hers is like so much of success is not, your innate talent or the you know tips and tricks it's just like fundamentally are you the type of person that's going to be improving day after day or are you the type of person that's not going to improve unless you know your boss forces you to and that i mean that explains so much of the difference in success successes you know between you know all of us and now as the founder of coach.me you're essentially tell us about what that is and then we'll start getting into well, you can coach the audience, you can coach us a little bit. 
Yeah, I, I'm looking forward to coaching the audience. I think we have some good topics coming up. I mean, the essence of it is we just think it's unfair. Like we started getting these stories of the backstories of successful people. And we thought, you know, geez, like I didn't even know that this existed. And here I am, I'm getting my first executive coach after I've been a CEO for seven years, right? Like that's way too late. Yeah, that's some BS, right? In sports, at least, it's much more common. You get your coach when you're little and you get groomed all the way to the professional level. And like, if I wanted to be a CEO, I kind of knew that when I was 22. Why didn't I get a coach starting when I was 22? And so just because we're technologists, we're like, oh, I see. There's a way that we could make coaching a lot more accessible. If you put, if you put coaches online, you get to do all of these special things that makes coaching a lot easier to get to. It's like you get to measure the performance of the coaches. So like we could bring in 10,000 coaches and tell you these 200 are elite coaches and they're the only coaches you're going to see. That's basically how we run our platform is we just look at the success rates of their clients and then say, okay, these are the ones that we're going to promote in our directory. And these other ones, you know, sorry, see you later. Like you're just not very good. You shouldn't like no one should ever run into you. <laughs> you should just give up and quit now. <laughs> I mean, it's weird. We're a marketplace. And so we have two customers. We have the coaches and the clients. I feel like we're solving a problem on the coaching side, which is all coaches struggle to get enough clients. And I think it's overall an improvement to say the best coaches have plenty of clients and the worst coaches go out of business. I think of that as a huge improvement for their industry. I'm not shy about that at all. We we want top coaches. And if you're not willing to do the work to do that, we'd put in work in order to bring you clients. We're not going to bring clients to crummy coaches. That's obvious. Yeah. We've put a lot of effort into training people, showing people, here's how you could be a top coach. But if you don't follow that direction, we of course, we don't want anything to do with you. Yeah, I think it's interesting. It is an industry fraught with snake oil salesmen and unqualified folks that write on the internet that you can position yourself as an expert and then they suddenly have an ebook or whatever. Right, right. It just, it is, it's all show and moving online is the first time that anyone actually came by and verified who was good and who wasn't. Perfect. The other thing though is then we're able to open it up to a much broader world of coaches and because we can then pick the top ones, we're actually the prices come down. So my executive coach is like slumming it with me at $400 an hour, <laughs> yeah. right? But he could be, I mean, he does more enterprise work, charges $1,000 or more for an hour of his time. But we were actually able to get great business coaches who would start working with you for $15 a week. And they, sh I mean, maybe we should be charging 50 or $100 a week, but regardless of what we're charging, we're able to get at that level where most people who care about something could have a coach. And then the third part is about accessibility, that a lot of us really don't have access to a coach unless that coach lives in our area, either because we can't meet with them or because we won't even hear about them because so much of it used to be spread via word of mouth. And so by moving the coaches online, you have access to the best coach in the world, regardless of where you live and regardless of where uh, of where they live. And so it's like, you know, I grew up as a runner, a distance runner. And I, so like, I happen to know where all the top running coaches are in America is like, there's one in Eugene, Oregon, 
There's one in Palo Alto at Stanford. There's uh, one in Arizona and one in Colorado. But if you don't live in one of those places, you're going to have access to mediocre at best coaches. And so what if you do want the top coach in the world? It's our job. You know, we feel like our job at Coach Me is to make those top coaches really accessible to you wherever you live. Perfect. So let's start getting into some actual meat and potatoes. I mean, mind, mindfulness, meditation, and things like that used to be kind of a spiritual hippy-dippy thing. At least yeah. it was in the 90s when I started. Now as a coach, you'd mentioned that you see a lot of really just ruthless folks doing this. I, it's funny that you said mindfulness because I actually have in my notes, I was like, don't say mindfulness, say mental strength. Okay. Like meditation is for mental strength, strength. And this is the whole, like, I mean, it's fine that you said it, but I, like, I was like reminding myself, don't say that. Because so, it's a shitty buzzword. It, it is. Yeah. And it's also, it's a buzzword that resonates with people that already know about meditation. And that's, that's how I always thought about it. It's something super spiritual. My parents were married by their Tai Chi teacher in California. So like, you can't Whoa. get hippier than that. Yeah. And I think of them as like, you know, like I think of meditation as something that they would have been doing. And then I started running into uh, all of these athletes and business people who meditate. Actually, in our board meeting, uh, my board has two really high-level people. It has Emma Williams, who is the CEO of Twitter I was talking about earlier, and Bijan Sabet, who is, uh, was one of the lead investors in Twitter and Tumblr and all these big startups. And, you know, they always show up at the board a little distracted. So early on, I started having them meditate right at the beginning. And they like, love that idea because they already meditate. You know, like I actually meditate with Ev all the time. He has a, a, a meditation teacher come in to his current company. And I drop in, you know, at least once a month to be part of that. So like here again is like I'm meditating with billionaires. I'm not meditating with people that smell like patchouli oil. Right. Like I'm meditating with actual capitalists and um, <laughs> actual right. People who are not socialists. Got it. Right. Yes. I, I mean, li listen, part of my job is, is to be nonjudgmental, is yes. to support everyone no matter where they're coming from. But the reason I talk so strongly about meditation is because there's this whole other world that hasn't that needs it, that that believes in their own performances are super dedicated to high performance and they need some way to train their brain. Like where do you, how do you train for mental strength? And it turns out meditation is far and away the best way to train for it. But if you use the standard meditation language with them, they shut down. So that, I mean, the other thing that I've been involved in in the last week actually is I just happened to reconnect with a middle school basketball teammate of mine. Turns out he's created a career as a mental strength trainer for basketball players, and he has led meditations for like the last two number one draft picks in the in the NBA. Like I've watched video of Andrew Wiggins, who was the number one pick who got traded from Cleveland to Minnesota last year, meditating while my friend Graham Betchart is like leading this meditation. And I like I love that, right? Like these are ultra competitive people that want to play at the highest level, and this is one of the advantages that they're looking for. Over the last 17 years, we have launched our fair share of online courses, coaching programs, and finding the right platform has always been a challenge. They say if you do what you love, you never work a day in your life. But if you're an entrepreneur, you know the hard work that comes with it. 
That's why you need Kajabi. Kajabi makes it easy to run your entire online business from one platform so you can focus on what you love, creating. Kajabi is the ultimate all-in-one platform that helps creators and entrepreneurs build successful online businesses by unlocking predictable recurring revenue. No matter your niche, Kajabi makes it easy to turn your skills, passions, and experiences into enriching online courses, exclusive membership sites, subscription podcasts, thriving communities, personalized coaching, and more. The best part? Kajabi doesn't cut into your revenue because everything is owned and controlled by you. So keep 100% of what you earn. And with Kajabi, you also get robust analytics, easy payment options, email marketing tools, and customizable website templates all built in. You don't even need a huge audience to make sustainable income. There are thousands of creators on Kajabi making six and seven figures with less than 50,000 followers. Right now, Kajabi is offering a free 30-day trial to start your business if you go to kajabi.com slash charm. That's K-A-J-A-B-I dot com slash charm. Go to kajabi.com slash charm and join the creators and entrepreneurs who have made over $7 billion. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it, all while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. All right, now back to Tony Stubblebine. Perfect. And why do you think that it has become, without getting too meta on this, why do you think it's become so obviously popular among top performers? It just it goes back to if you hand a top performer a potential advantage, they're going to try it, right? And like, and so there's just there is enough of a very slow moving word of mouth going around. You know, I start to hear it in places that aren't very spiritual. Like, you know, Tim Ferriss has a podcast that he started this year. And I'm pretty sure the third episode he interviewed Josh Waitskin, who's famous for he's the chess, chess prodigy. In the, behind the story, searching for Bobby Fischer, and he went on to be like a great martial artist. On top of it, and Tim asked, "What would be your keystone habit for top performance?" And he said, "Meditation." And I like I loved hearing that because here's someone who actually takes his own personal success in order as a way to train other top performers, often in business. And he talked about he's teaching meditation to hedge fund managers. And the thing that hedge fund managers really need to be aware of is their own cognitive bias. Yes. Like we're, we all have cognitive biases, right? But the trick is becoming aware of when one of those biases are in play and then adjusting for it. So it's easy to know what the adjustments are. There's a cognitive bias page on Wikipedia that just lists a ton of them. Like it's easy to know what they are and it's easy to know what the adjustments are, but it's very hard to catch yourself. And in meditation, there's sort of these three skills that get taught. And all of the spiritual people are like, you know, really pushed one skill in particular, calmness. In fact, I'm actually an advisor for a meditation startup called Calm.com. Oh, I use that app. I, is that the app? Yeah, do you yeah. use it? I just, I just started this week. Yeah, it's awesome. I love it. It's a great app. It's a great way for people to get started meditating. You know, it's sort of advertising this one benefit, Calm. 
And what most people don't realize is that there's two other benefits. And essentially, in the way that meditation is most commonly taught, what you do is you focus on your breath. And you don't focus 100% on your breath because your mind will wander. That is guaranteed that your mind will wander. So the two things that happen when your mind wanders is you try to become aware. You say, oh, my mind just wandered. What was I thinking about? And then once you've become aware, once you've acknowledged what your mind wandered to, then you bring it back to your breath. And that's the control of focus. When we train for meditation, we teach it like doing push-ups. Like this is meant, like this is push-ups for your brain. And the two phases of the push-up are becoming aware and then bringing your focus back to your breath. And every time you do that, we consider that one repetition. So in fact, it's actually good if your mind wanders a lot because that means you're getting in a lot of reps. Like it's like going to the gym and like maybe some really blissed out dude who's meditating, his mind only wanders three times. So he just got three reps in. Right. You, you're distracted as hell. You sit down for 10 minutes, your mind wandered 40 times. Well, a lot of people go into it thinking, well, my mind is wandering, so that's bad. What we always try to convince people of is, no, 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 that's good. You got 40 reps in where this other, you know, slow thinking dude, I got three, be happy, like feel like you won. And then that like awareness and control of focus, that those are two skills that you end up bringing to every aspect of your life, to personal relationships, to business relationships, to productivity. It just all feeds into whatever, whatever it is that you're really trying to accomplish. I'll tell you right now, if getting distracted is how you win at meditation, I am going to be the champion of meditation. That's good. I mean, we actually, we researched this because I think we've watched 85,000 people try to start meditating. And, you know, we looked into it. We surveyed, like, who's succeeding and why and who's failing and why. And 100% the people that are failing are saying that their mind wandered, therefore they, they're not good at it. You know, it's like anyone who actually understands what meditation is, is like, no, 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 that doesn't actually mean that. So the whole failure mode is just based on a misconception about what to expect. And if you expect your mind to wander, you know, you'll be able to get through the meditation. And by the way, for people listening, a meditation when you're starting out should be like three minutes. It's not like half an hour. It's not an hour. That's really hard. Three minutes is great. I started meditating in the 90s uh, because I had a karate instructor who was kind of like into it, but he was a crap teacher when it came to meditation. He was really good at the karate thing. And the problem was he was like, you shouldn't be thinking about anything. Start with 40 minutes. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, wait. wait a minute. I've got to sit still for 40 minutes and not think about anything. Like, I literally don't think I've ever succeeded at that in my whole life. Well, nobody has. And this is actually my, my meditation teacher who I use in person most often. Is this guy, Will Kabat-Zinn. People might know the last name Kabat-Zinn. His father, John Kabat-Zinn, basically created the mindfulness movement in America. He's like the biggest name in mindfulness. And his son turned out to also be in the space and to be great at it. And he's the one who teaches meditation three days a week uh, at the startup that happens to be in the building that I'm in. And so his take on that is uh, if you sit down for 40 minutes and your mind doesn't wander, go to a hospital. Yeah. Something has gone desperately wrong inside your head. That's excellent. I think that's important because I guarantee you there's people listening right now that are like, wait a minute, 
I'm supposed to start with three to five minutes and my mind is actually supposed to wander and that's what we're training? Oh my gosh. Because I think people who maybe aren't doing the whole Zen thing don't think about anything, but they're even just trying to th think about only the color blue or whatever it is. Right. Yeah, and then you go, wait a minute, isn't there something in that? No, no, I, I got the laundry out. Oh, I fail, start over. You know, you're you're gonna hate meditation more than more than paying your taxes if you but, treat yourself I mean, like you've that. Basically, you've defined meditation in a way where you're guaranteed to fail. And therefore, obviously, it's not going to be fun, and you're not going to feel like you're doing it, doing well. Excellent. But the actual honest definition is something it's almost impossible to fail at. I mean, did you sit down? Did you catch yourself thinking about something else even once? Right? I mean, sometimes I'll find myself in a meditation. I'll be like, wow, I've just been thinking about my lunch meeting for five minutes. But as long as I caught it, I got one rep in. And, uh, and that's, you know, that's really common. I am always trying to name what I think about and rehearsing for future conversations in my day. It's like the number one thing that I think about. And the number two thing is food. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Perfect. Well, I can join the club on that one again. You know, I've heard about the mindfulness meditation thing a lot lately and I'm like, Oh, I used to do that. Uh, and people try to go, oh, it's the only way to stay focused. And I'm like, I have no problem staying focused during days. But the, you know, controlling my emotions, I was like, well, shit, why didn't anybody tell me about that benefit, for example? <laughs> right. Um, you know, cause, cause I'm, I'm like, oh my gosh, uh, I overdrafted this one checking account, which cost 10 bucks that I can easily get refunded. But now I'm like sweating and I'm like, I've got to remember to do that tomorrow morning. You know, like, why am I stressing about this? You know, or, oh crap, I accidentally spilled some of my drink. Oh, I've got to clean it up. Oh, my night is ruined. Wait a minute. Let's get real. Like that's the reality is when you're in a, running a small business and you manage a lot of people and stuff, there are days where you just like you, you're just losing your ish. Right. Yeah. And and that's when meditation comes in and mindfulness and things like that come in really handy because you have the ability to go. Oh, oh, wait a minute. That's not that important because the bringing your mind back, those reps translate directly into real world control over yourself. Did you read the book Thinking Fast and Slow by Daniel Kahneman? I have not. I mean, the basic his basic premise is that you have two primary modes of decision making. One is very conscious and rational, and, and uh, that's the pro of it. And the con is that it's slow moving and takes a lot of effort. And then more commonly, you have this sort of emotional, subconscious level thought process that you're not totally aware of, and that's driving a lot of your decisions. So like my standard example is, if I don't have lunch plans, what I'll do is I'll leave the office and I'll go out to lunch and that decision is made by my stomach, right? But if I have thought about, if on Sunday I was like, well, how, how do I want to eat this week? I'll be making this really rational, planned out decision like, well, this is what is important for my diet and for my energy and so these are the meals that I should be getting and this is what I should be eating. And so those are the, these like two modes of thought. And so the way that meditation plays into this and it ends up showing up in so many different situations is a, you want to become aware of that subconscious thought process. And then B you want to kick it up to your prefrontal cortex where all your rational thought is going on. And then once you do that, it's almost trivial to say, Oh, you know, I'll just call the bank and get my $10 refunded. And then like, all, as soon as you've become aware of it and controlled your focus, it makes it really easy for you to put it down and uh, dealing with anxiety, dealing with emotions like uh, over trivial things uh, just ends up being this case that comes up where you're just using your meditation skills to get over it.
Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And the problem is a lot of people go, well, you know, I get over my anxiety eventually. Why build a skill around it? And I'll tell you right now, just being in business, and I don't even have kids yet, right? right. It's, it's a super, super useful skill because you can't really focus fully on other things if you're worried about dumb stuff all the time, and it will add up and you will boil over by 5, 6, 7 p.m. every day. Yeah, I, you know, my, I, going back to my parents, they, they did split up at one point, and my dad ended up remarrying having more kids. And I always thought my dad was like the calmest, most rational person in the world. And then only later as I watched him, watched my sister grow up with him, did I realize the only reason he was able to hold his shit together with me is because he only saw me every other weekend, right? He was like, he had plenty of energy. And then you'd kind of watch my sister just wear him down. And so this like super calm, rational person that I'd always looked up to growing up, like, I, like suddenly I'm seeing him, you know, lose control. And I was like, oh, right. Because it takes a lot of energy. And yeah, absolutely. When you're a parent, I think you're gonna be happy that you have a meditation background to fall back on. Yeah, it's very, very handy, and, and without going too much into it, every time you boil over and you like holler at somebody, you're putting a nail into, what's that analogy like, you're, every time you get mad, you're putting nails into walls, and even when you pull out the nail, the hole is still there? Oh, that's a good analogy. Yeah. I've never heard that before, but that's a really good analogy. You still carry the cost. You, you do. It's, no matter how you deal with it, yeah. Exactly, it's some sort of fable, and I can't remember exactly what it is, but like every time you get mad, you're hammering a nail into a wooden barn in the fable. You're hammering a nail into that board. And then when you go back and apologize, and you're over it, and you know you have a good laugh over it or whatever to get the other person's mind off it, you pull the nail out. But the hole is still there. And so you know, looking at anybody who's had like, a tyrannical father or like a bad relationship that person they might have forgiven that person everything might be cool but those holes are still there like you still remember the time they like chat in your cheerios right so <laughs> right you know i like that i love like the mood repair the emotional repair the control that you get from this it's more so than just like oh you can focus better like nebulous benefits are not going to get people to do this yeah that word mood repair i ran into that with a procrastination researcher actually i mean this was like the world's premier researcher on procrastination. He's an actual academic. And when he looked into procrastination, he basically felt like he called it short-term mood repair. Your subconscious is telling you that your next task is going to be boring or that you don't really know how to do it or you're not smart enough to do it or something. And so you don't do it. But you never once actually rationally analyze, is that true? And so he really liked meditation as the skill to get you out of that because you're like, okay, this, you know, I have to, uh, I have to hire a new account, and I actually have a recommendation for the account. I just have to email them and set up a meeting. But I don't really, I'm not excited to talk to this account, so I'm procrastinating on it. But as I describe this to you, I'm like, dang, this could take me two minutes. Why don't I just do it? I know I have to. Those moods are tripping you up all over the place, and this is true for everyone. You know, for even high performers have all sorts of goofy things going on in their heads. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. All right, back to the show. 
Yeah, I love the idea of mood repair um, or emotional repair, but yes, as a double-edged sword, right? Because procrastination can also be the result of short-term mood repair just to try to like overcome anxiety by ignoring something, but you can also become aware of the anxiety that you're trying to repair when you do the meditation stuff and you've got that skill set. And then instead of having the harmful behavior, like, oh, I'll do it later, right now I gotta organize my closet by alphabetical order of you know books or whatever. Instead of doing that behavior, you go, wait, 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 I'm clearly trying to repair some sort of anxiety, let's attack the root cause or figure that out or manage that. Right, suddenly you're putting a really big project on your plate, like, like I'm not doing this because I have a terrible relationship with my parents. Let me deal with that first, right? Right, yeah, exactly. That's too much. I mean, this is one of those things that's like, theoretically, that could happen, but statistically, it's almost always some trivial thing. Yeah, of course. Yeah, I mean, so I like the idea of connecting meditation to presence, focus, productivity, decision-making, and the bias things that you talked about with the hedge fund guys, because I think meditation as a business skill is much more appealing than meditation as a, a route to enlightenment and here's some patchouli perfume, right? <laughs> right. I mean, certainly it's what got me in the door. And you might get in the door this way with meditation and then have a spiritual experience, but regardless of whether that's true or even a goal, the initial impact is very, it's like very immediate and very performance uh, based. And so all of us sort of pragmatic people who are just trying to achieve more with our life, it's like almost the fundamental skill for practically everything that you're doing. I can't think of anything that I care about where meditation doesn't come into play. I mean, you know, if I'm like fighting with my girlfriend, it's like, wait a second, well, I could just take a deep breath here and say, well, like, I'm not giving in on some point because I like, I'm ashamed. I like, I got caught and I don't want to admit it, right? Like then I think that I'm like, oh, why don't I just get give in because I want to get out of this fight so we can go back to the good stuff. And I'd use it at work. I use it getting ready for podcasts. The something happens during the podcast. I'm like, wow, I shouldn't have said that or I said that the wrong way. I just like I let that I acknowledge that thought, let it go, move on to the next thing. I just honestly I can't think of any place where this doesn't come up. Yeah, you actually have a pretty unique story about. <laughs> this stuff really saving your bacon. You want to tell us about that? Yeah, I mean, this is this is actually, it's a great example of how to use meditation for something that people wouldn't normally talk about. I actually used it as the foundation for what my coach and I call developing a killer instinct. Because when I started this company, I almost put it out of business almost immediately afterwards. Because we got it up and running, and then I thought, oh, we should raise more money for it. And I started doing the circuit here. So in Silicon Valley, we're all funded by investors who are called venture capitalists out here. And if you hear me say venture capitalists, you should basically think like, you know, finance guy, like Wolf of Wall Street, like a real like stereotype of that type of person. And I'm the opposite person. I grew up in California. I told you my parents were married by their Tai Chi teacher. I am super thoughtful and rational and honest. And so I would go into these meetings and invariably every single meeting I had, they either told me to my face or they told me back channel through the person that had introduced me to them that uh, product seemed great, team seemed great, but Tony, me personally, didn't seem like CEO material. He seemed too soft to be a CEO. How am I gonna fix this? Like people literally think I'm too weak to be a CEO 
that I mean, that's almost the worst thing you could hear. I was ready for this product will never work or there's not enough traction. Like those things are all very solvable. I just didn't think people were going to attack me so personally. So I went back to my coach and I asked him, you know, why are people reacting this way? And he goes, Tony, people think you're soft because you are soft. And like, that's like, it's nice to have the truth of it. I mean, that's even scarier for me because I, I really wondered, can I change? And what does change even look like? Do I have to be some super aggressive person? Like I think of people that are yelling all the time. Is, is that what they're looking for? Do I need to be Larry Ellison, who is like someone I, you know, he has this famous quote, uh, it's not enough for me to win. Everyone else has to lose. You know, like that, it's just not really who I am. And so I was even debating, do I want to become that person? Because I, because I kind of hate those people. And, um, and so what my coach said is, I can't fix you overnight, but we could probably fix you in a couple of months. So thankfully I had another option rather than raising money from those VCs. And so I pulled back and I just started working on myself. And one of the first things I did is I got sent to a meditation retreat. And I don't know if you watch Mad Men, but in the last episode, Don Draper is hanging out at this hippie retreat, uh, which is actually like, it was filmed at this place, Esalen, which is this really famous mindfulness institute here in California. So that's where I got sent. And some of the people there were exactly as you would expect, like really like their lives were ruled by crystals and astrology and, you know, very, very hippie. But some of the people there had an incredible strength to them. And that's what I latched onto. I thought, well, maybe this is who I could become rather than be ultra uh, aggressive. Maybe there's a different type of strength that I could have, which essentially now I describe it to people as free of weakness. And I think that's what was happening when I was going into all these investors is that they were thinking, wow, this guy is going to fold to any pressure. And now when I meet with investors, nobody thinks that. I'm not yelling, uh, but I also have this incredibly firm foundation that comes from knowing who I am, knowing what's important to me, being aware of any of the emotional triggers that happen when you're in a high pressure meeting and being able to deal with them. And so, you know, I feel like that's the strength that let me actually turn this into a company. If I wasn't able to develop that, we would have no investors. Interesting. That's actually quite fascinating. It's funny that you were resisting it initially because you thought you were going to end up being to Larry Ellison, right? And not enough Lululemon or whatever. Right. right? <laughs> yeah. But you were able to kind of balance that. The fact is, now that you can control it, you don't have to be Larry Ellison, right? I think this is really applicable to a lot of people. One of the other things my coach told me is there's a really common pattern, which is the thing that got you there is now the thing that's holding you back. So my day-to-day -day life, the reason that I was successful in the first place is that I'm really good at collaborating with people on product development. And that doesn't require yelling. It requires being a good listener, very creative, very thoughtful, very data-driven, very honest with myself and with the people around me. And so that still is my day-to-day. -day. I mean, that's basically what I do when I come into the office. But every now and then, I needed to have a different type of strength. And so that sort of that collaborative nature was holding me back as I tried to make the leap into being uh, a CEO of a much bigger company. So you've got some practical stuff for the folks listening out there. I'd love to get into that as well, because I think 
it does pay for people to really get a handle on this skill set because it is a business skill and a life skill, not just a weird sort of spiritual hippy dippy thing that is trending in Silicon Valley. Right. Um, right. I know you've got meditation coaches and things like that uh, with uh, at coach.me slash meditation. You've got some guided meditation that they can check out uh, for free. And then, of course, there's coaching available on there. But can you lead us through a little guided meditation right here? If they, if you're driving, though, don't close your eyes, right? All right, let's do it. All right, so the basics is sit down. If you can't sit down, lie down. If you can't lie down, stand up. There's no, this isn't a requirement. <laughs> Okay. If you're walking to the to work right now, don't lay down and don't right. sit down. I'm gonna ask you to close your eyes. So probably walking is not the right. The right no thing walking, to do here. no driving, no controlling heavy machinery or moving around at all at this point. And I want everyone to get comfortable and close your eyes. And the first thing is now that your eyes are closed, what sounds do you hear around you? And I want you to name those sounds. And I want you to name them in a very specific way. I want you to use a sentence structure. I am aware that. I am aware that I can hear the air conditioner for a building. I am aware of the ticking of the clock. Just take a couple of seconds and say, what are you aware of? I'm aware of a truck driving past me right now. Now that you've done that, we're going to do a body check-in. I want you to start at the top of your head. What does the top of your head feel like? What does your face feel like? What does your neck feel like? Is it tense? Is it relaxed? And now going out to your shoulders and your arms, how do your forearms feel? How do your hands feel? Are your hands tense or are they relaxed? How does your chest feel? How does your stomach feel? How do your legs feel? Have you worked out recently? Are the muscles in your legs tired? Do they feel fresh? How do your calves feel? How do your feet feel? Can you feel your feet touching the ground? That's a body scan. You can do that for yourself uh, next time you meditate. But the next step is what we've been talking about, the awareness loop. Want everyone to just start breathing. Breathe naturally, but become aware of your breath. Breathe in, breathe out. Breathe in, breathe out. Just think about your breath and actually count your breath. Uh, every complete breath is one. So in, out, one. In, out again, that's two, three, four. When I'm meditating for myself, usually I count to 30 or 40. That's about three or four minutes for me. It gets me through most of my commute. And so now as you count for yourself, just notice did your mind switch off to something else? Are you thinking about what you're going to do after this podcast, someone that you're going to talk to, an email that you're going to write, um, a meal that you're going to eat? Are you thinking about my voice? Do you like it? Do you not like it? Um, name that thought. Use that same sentence structure we used for the sounds. I'm aware. I'm aware that I'm rehearsing for a conversation afterwards. And then once you finish that sentence, Bring your, bring your focus back to the breath. In, out, in, out, counting. And then once you get to 40, just let, just relax. You're done. Let your mind go blank for a second. Kind of at your own pace, come out of the meditation. Open your eyes. I like to stretch my arms a little bit if I'm not in public. If I am in public, I just open my eyes. 
and there you are. We're done. Excellent. It's good stuff. And of course, you know, it's easier probably to do this stuff in the morning and just kind of bank it, right? Yeah. So, I mean, literally, I use that script. I do a sound scan, a body scan, and then count to 30 or 40 on BART, which is a subway here in San Francisco, with my arms looped through my bag so that no one runs off with it. And I basically hope that everyone around me just thinks I'm sleeping. Right. And uh, I mean, that's what I mean is like that meditation is something that anyone should be able to do and you can actually fit it into your day really easily. And what my meditation teachers call what, what I'm doing, the consistency of it, just priming the pump. I've had longer meditation sessions, but by having that short one every day just means it's easier for me to get at the, the skills of, of meditation. Is there anything else you want to leave us with before we let you go? I mean, I, yeah, I think the main thing, we talked a lot about meditation, which is like probably the fifth or sixth most popular thing that people get coached on and coached on me. But the meta discussion was all about performance and business. And probably half of what people are hiring coaches for on our platform is business and leadership coaching. So for everyone listening, if you do want a team of people supporting your own achievements in life, just go to the website, coach.me, and that'll get you started on that, on that path. Thank you so much, man. Much appreciated. And of course, we'll have the app Calm linked in the show notes. We'll have coach.me linked in the show notes as well as some of the resources and, and as well as some of the resources and guided stuff that we touched on here. And so if you're driving and you want to do it later, you can even download some of these things at coach.me slash meditation. Thanks so much, Tony. Much appreciated. I, I'm really serious. This is a weapon, right? And I'm just glad we got to touch on it from that instead of like, clear your mind, clear your soul, <laughs> which is all good and fine. I mean, that's cool. But at the end of the day, if I'm trying to make a bunch of money or like build something that's going to be my legacy, I'm less worried about cleaning my mind, cleaning my soul. But now that I know it can help with those things, I'm in. Right. That's awesome. I mean, it's an honor to be here and I hope people learn something from it. Interesting stuff. Love the guided meditation at the end. Kind of interesting. And, and the Calm app that I use has a lot of that stuff. Five minutes in the morning, kind of just laying around in my bed doing it. I think it works for focus, and it definitely works for emotional control if that's your bag. Show feedback and guest suggestions. The show's a fanarchy. It's run by you. We rely on you to help keep our finger on the pulse. So if you know someone who's a good fit for the show, let me know. I'm Jordan at theartofcharm.com. And if you enjoyed this, don't forget to thank Tony on Twitter. We'll have that linked in the show notes as well as some of the guided meditations and other resources mentioned on the show. You can tap our album art in most mobile podcast players to see the show notes right on your phone. I'm also on Twitter, and that'll be linked in there as well. I post a lot of articles and insights and other stuff. Bootcamp details for our live programs, bootcamp.theartofcharm.com. Remember, we're sold out a few months in advance, so if you're thinking about it a little bit, get in touch now, get some info from us so you can plan ahead. Also on the website is the blog with tons of amazing articles, and the AOC team is there as well. Subscribe in iTunes, write us a nice review, check us out, we've got mobile apps as well, and when you write us a review, we'll love you forever, that much I guarantee. Special thanks to the Jasons for their help in production of the Art of Charm podcast. Go ahead and tell your friends, because the greatest compliment you can give us is a referral to someone else, either in person or shared on the web. Now have a great week, and leave everything and everyone better than you found them. Thanks for listening to The Art of Charm. Get more confidence, relationship skills, life hacks, and everything for the extraordinary man 
at theartofcharmpodcast.com. 